So the reading is from the first epistle of Peter, beginning at the, ver- the first chapter and beginning at the 17th verse. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of God. How many of you have been to Florida? Okay, well, well done. And please don't feel jealous, those of you who haven't raised their hand. Some years ago, um, I took my young family to Florida, and we visited the Kennedy Space Center. Um, I had no idea how enormous space rockets are. They're huge. So here's a photo of uh, one. It's more impressive even than that. There we go. That's the one uh, just outside the center, and it completely dwarfed us. The irony is that, that, I mean, the actual rocket is huge with the big booster sections. The capsule at the top is minute, and if you were claustrophobic, you would not uh, enjoy it. It's smaller than a bubble car, for those who remember those. But people risked their lives, and indeed sometimes, of course, lost their lives, to explore the universe. So that's my young family. Um, This is Apollo 8. They're somewhere away from it. Um, On its end, I mean, when it's facing upwards, it's 38 stories high. It's enormous. Um, And it traveled at 20,000 miles an hour. And then the later incarnation was uh, Apollo 11 that obviously actually made it to the moon, proving that it wasn't made of cheese after all. And this is now a photo coming up. Uh, That's a bit of moon rock. And so they brought it back. uh, And actually, I found it incredibly moving, just touching a bit of rock, random rock, but it had once been on the moon. And it reminded me of some of the words we heard a moment ago from Peter's first letter. It's obviously a tenuous link, but I had to make some connection. So uh, this is what I found. And if we see it now, one Peter... What we heard, live out your time as foreigners. You're not from around here, he says. If you follow Jesus, you don't just blend in. And then the next one, 
next chapter, he says, you're actually aliens and strangers. Now, when you hear the word aliens, how many of you, your default setting is Sigourney Weaver? It's probably a generational thing. Okay, two of us. Um, but he's saying, if you're following Jesus, you're a foreigner, you're an alien, you're a stranger. You don't just blend in with everyone else. And he's saying they ought to get used to knowing other people might sometimes think you're from another planet. I mean, some of you perhaps haven't been to church for a long time, or maybe ever. And I, can I say, you are so welcome. But don't be amazed if you think, they're all, they seem quite nice, but they're a bit weird. You might well be right on that. I mean, in truth, everyone seems normal till you get to know them. But what, what we do as Christians may be surprising or unusual to others. But there's a verse in um, Exodus 33, years and years earlier. Moses says he wants to move on with the people, but he says to God, if you don't go with us, I, you know, I don't want to move on. We've got another verse coming up, so this is from Exodus 33. He says to God, if your presence, and actually literally the Hebrew there is your face, being really close to God, does not go with us, what else will distinguish me and all your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? He's saying the, the number one identity marker of being close to God is that's the one thing that makes us different, being close to God, knowing God, living close with him. The presence of God, knowing God, being with him, will make us different. We don't necessarily blend in like everyone else. Uh, there's another slide here, which I rather like. Uh, it's sort of the disjunction of someone visiting our planet. Not from round here, can't easily fit in. And Peter says that if we're Christ followers, then we are aliens and strangers in this world. What could he possibly mean, though? And I just want to mention three things. First of all, we have hope. Christians aren't people who have a monopoly on being loving or kind or generous. Uh, not even necessarily on hope. But I think there is something distinctive. If you know Jesus, if you know the story of what God has done in him and through him for us, we are peculiar. We've got hope in the world. A lot of my job, I'm with people who are maybe in deep, darkness for, for a variety of reasons, but Christians are a people who have hope in God, and it's because of the resurrection. The next slide is a quotation. You believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. That's a photo, I've been there in Jerusalem, the empty tomb. And knowing Jesus is not here, he's been raised makes a difference to everything in our lives. Followers of Jesus have hope. And it's not make-believe. It's not wishful thinking. It's based on actual, factual, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes people today think, well, of course, people then were terribly gullible. They were wanting it to happen. But actually, if you think of it, there's never been a long track record of people rising from the dead. No one's ever believed it. 
And the Gospels are full of those early accounts at the end of each Gospel. People say they've seen Jesus, and his closest friend said, no way. They did not believe. It wasn't wishful thinking, but they were convinced then by meeting him. Um, so the resurrection of Jesus is actually also the blueprint for our lives. So we believe Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life again for our justification. That means to put us right with God. So we're friends again with God. And just as Jesus was raised from death, if I'm in Christ, then I too will be raised. If you put your trust in Jesus, you too. That's your destiny. Sorry, that's another film, isn't it? It is your destiny. If you're, if you're in Jesus, that is your destiny, to be raised in Jesus. And St. Paul remembers uh, in Ephesians, in, in another verse, he remembers what life used to be like for some early Christians. He says, at that time, before they knew about the resurrection, you were without hope and without God in the world. So I just want to say, I, if you are lacking hope, if you're actually feeling life hasn't ultimately got a purpose, there is good news because of the resurrection of Jesus. There is hope. Uh, and the second uh, thing I want to say, so there's hope. Secondly, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've uh, seen people doing the spacewalk. We've got to attend to the atmosphere. If we follow Jesus, we will find ourselves in a hostile environment. If someone were to go into space and they've not prepared, they've not really thought about it, and they haven't got some oxygen on their back, they're not going to last for very long. And if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, you just won't be able to make it unless you take some atmosphere along with you. And we're called to be people who change the atmosphere. We take it with us, but we also help change it for others. How do we do that? Most people occasionally pray, but if you have to be desperate to do it, you're not yet doing it right. It can be a daily thing, just like a chat, just chatting with God, saying, Lord, this is what's going on, and as you share your life with God, you know he's there in the good times and in the bad times. The promises in baptism that the parents and godparents make are not to have good children. Now, my children, I'm so glad I didn't have to promise that it would be good. I just promised to show them what prayer is like, how to open the Bible. So we've given Harper a little Bible. And hearing who is Jesus, as we get to know him, as we get to share our lives with him, we know we're changing the atmosphere. There is hope, and actually God is there. The next slide tells us, from the reading we heard from Peter, You've been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. As we get into the Word of God, the Bible, we have hope and we see God's purposes for us. Jesus said one time, you must be born again. Some of you will have been present at a birth, maybe of your own children. Well, if you were mum, obviously you were. Uh, but I know I've... You know, holding a newborn baby is just... I mean, I remember the first time I was, I was a dad, I've got four children, but I was just terrified. 
I thought, oh, no. Uh, I mean, I had some happy thoughts as well, but it's quite scary because you've got this whole little vulnerable life. But actually, we must be born spiritually, not just physically. So for our new life with Jesus to survive and thrive and grow, we need to cultivate our faith and life with God. <clears throat> so think about the places you're going to be this week. Um, so tomorrow morning, who's going to be at school? Okay, some of you. How many of you are going to be in a workplace? How many of you are going to be at home? How many of you are going to be in the pub? I mean, or leisure options, I mean. Now, some of these places are places where it's really easy to be a follower of Jesus. But some of them are quite hostile to faith. Um, I used to be a teacher uh, when I had a proper job. And before, sorry, not the drink, uh, but I would pray every morning for God's presence to be in the school, in my lessons, not just to help me to teach better, but that it's about changing the culture. Just have a chat with the person you're sitting next to, uh, if you would. Where's a place where you find it hard to be a follower of Jesus or to do the right thing? There are some workplaces which are quite toxic, where if you put your head above the parapet to do the right thing, it may be costly or you might feel uncomfortable. But where is it? Just have a little chat with your neighbour and say, where do you find it hard in your life generally to do the right thing? So what I'd like to invite you to do is think of consciously, uh, intentionally about where you are this week and if you've meant the promises that have been made, if you're going to try and live as a follower of Jesus, what is the strategy for putting some oxygen on your back? How will you make it? How will you change the atmosphere for yourself, and how can you start changing it for others? Um, and so we've thought about hope, we've thought about changing the atmosphere, and then the last point now, knowing our true home. If you're an astronaut, you, you know where you're longing actually eventually to get to your true home. And if we follow Jesus, we know this world ultimately is not our home. We're, our home is being with God. Now, that doesn't mean we can trash the planet. God, this is still God's word, world, and we are called to be wise stewards of creation. And we're doing a terrible job at it most of the time. I can remember as a child throwing away litter sort of in a beautiful place. I, I was just ignorant. I never really thought about it. I thought, well, you know, this hillside's huge. It won't really matter. Now I, I would think, that's a terrible thing to do. I'm now feeling shamed. Who has, well, put up your hand, you have also thrown away litter when you shouldn't have. There's three people willing to admit to it, okay. And they're all old, like me. And so, a growing consciousness. No, we need to care for this planet because it's a God's finite provision to us. But ultimately, our homeland will be found being with God. We care for the planet, but our destiny is to be with him. Why do people bother or risk so much or pay so much, if you're Elon Musk, to make rockets and 
try to do it. It's to find a new world. Why would we possibly want to follow Jesus? Because there's a new creation in knowing him. And there's a quotation here from 1 Peter's uh, chapter 2. Talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So what he's saying is when Jesus died, it wasn't just an unlucky or a bad thing for him. He carried in himself the rubbish, the garbage from my life. And that's where sin was paid for. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. What Jesus did was for me. It was for you. And then he says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer. The Greek word is actually bishop, the one who's looking after you of your souls. When we return to God, we know we found our true home. So um, our church logo is life with God. And that's what we hope will be the trajectory for Harper, that she'll grow up knowing what life with God looks like. And uh, it will be a life, life with God involves having hope for our own lives and for the destiny of the world. It involves taking responsibility for changing the atmosphere for ourselves and for others, but also knowing our true home is found in relationship with God. Can I say, if, if what I've been talking about, if you think, that sounds interesting, but actually I haven't got a clue what he's talking about, that's okay, but I've got some great booklets called Why Jesus. I'd love to give you one of those, and it will probably explain way better than me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So you just take that as a gift to explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it's just the best thing ever. Thanks, Sarah.